I don't know whether to speak English. Afrikaans. 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 So, no, Mengels. So, I was just thinking, I said Afrikaans for us. So, fair reason to make this and I'm all me. It must be English. I think two people won't understand everyone else will. So, but it is good to be here in our hustle. The Lord be provoked. And um, just so you guys know, um, we are from Joshkin Weinberg, and we are part of the same hub in Joshkin. So, so our hub is Luzerberg, Weinberg, Pomalis, uh, Gordon's Bay, and Provost. Somerset West. And Somerset West, yes. Isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, my beautiful wife, Corin, and there and myself, we are, my name is Dimitri, Corin, we've got four children, I'm not going to tell you all their names, but it's an um, interesting fact, we are a family of six, and we've got the Gabriels with us, and we should be this they're a family of six. Uh, we've got three daughters and one son, and they've got three daughters and one son. And together we make up at least one eighth of the congregation. <laughs> so, so, what you can actually say is you've got Josh in one room with you. So, um, I, I, I can tell you, we have thought about you guys a lot. And um, we. Our family, we um, often go to our animals in the So we are often driving past for all the time. No Philip and Leone. Um, we heard when your church got started, and um, that God's doing a great work in here. And so thank you so much for opening your doors to us. Allowing us to be here and, and to minister with you, to you. And um, I'm going to pray now. We invite the Holy Spirit to come and to, to work among us and uh, trust the Lord will today that He will speak and minister to every single one of you. That every one of you can leave and go home and say, The Lord spoke to me. Amen. That's what we always trust Him for. Um, Lord Jesus, we do praise your name today. And we thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you are a good Father. That Jesus, you are a gracious Savior. And Holy Spirit, you are a comforter in our peace. And uh, today, Lord, we bring ourselves before you. Today is Sunday, it's the Lord's day. And today, Lord, we will be gathered together like we are today. And you see, we two or three are gathered in your name today in the very midst. And we praise you, Jesus. And we want to see you work in us today. So we open our hearts to you. Lord, I know um, plenty of us, but Lord, um, we one body in Christ. Amen. And that's, Lord, we can connect with each other through you. And I, I pray that today I could just be like an old friend here. That we can speak to each other and um, just, Lord, let your word. Minister, fill our hearts and fill our souls. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles here, you can turn to First 
Chronicles chapter 13, looking at a few verses. And the question I'd like to ask you today is a very personal one. It has to do with your home. How many of you have a home? You live in a home. He died. He got too close to it. 
And King David, who was arranging a transport, he said, stop, 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 stop. We're not taking this into Jerusalem. We're just going to just pause on that. And he's like, over there is a man, his name is Obed-Edom. He's a Levite, one of the worship singers, plays the harp. Let's go leave the harp in his house. Now, how would you feel about that? That ark has just killed somebody. And they say, bring it into us. And then, how would Obed-Edom do this? Would he happily bring it into his house? What would happen? You've got to realize that the, the ark, you can just go forward one here. There's a picture here. Just so you guys know, we're not talking of Noah's ark. We're talking of the ark of the covenant. And the ark of the covenant was that special item, the most special item of the tabernacle of the temple. And now, it was in the house of a man named Obed-Edom. Let's read about this here. First Chronicles 13, and it said in verse 6, And David and all Israel went up to Baalach, to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps and string instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Yusuf put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Yusuf, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before the Lord. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Yusuf, and therefore that place is called Perez Yusuf to this day. Literally outburst against Uzzah. And now, verse 12, David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittites. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And I want you to mark up these verses in your Bible. It says, And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. The Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom when the ark was there. The ark of the covenant. Now there is so much to say about this. And I want you guys just to grasp, if you would, the magnitude of what was happening. Do you know that in the whole Bible, the Old Testament, when we read of the Ark of the Covenant, it was never once in any person's hearts, ever. This was the first. The Ark of the Covenant was made during the time after Israel had left Egypt and they got out into the wilderness, into the exodus, and God had given those commands, those instructions to build that box. 
It was made of acacia wood, it was overlaid with gold, it had a lid on the top, and that box carried something very special. What was that? The Ten Commandments. They were inside this box, carved stone, engraved on stone, kept in that box. And if you look there, what, what's on top of the box there? There's two cherubim, okay? Special kind of angel. And you see, this was so important because this was called the mercy seat. And it was a symbol, symbolic of the throne of God. It speaks of God in heaven who dwells between the cherubim. And so this was a symbol coming into Obed-Edom's house of the throne of God. Incredible. And he was bringing into his house the law of God, the government of God, the throne of God. And he was opening up the front door of his house and he was bringing in God's government into his house. And the question I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you opened your house up to God and to his government? Is his law upheld in your house? Is the question I'm asking. And I want to share with you a little bit. This beautiful woman, my wife, and I, we've been married, I say 35 years, she says 26, somewhere around there, we've got four children. We have a, a wonderful home, but what was so important for us in setting up our home was we wanted Christ in our home. And I praise God today the privilege of having a family that loves Jesus. And I realize that this is not the norm. Sometimes you have one parent serving Jesus, the children are not serving Jesus. I've got, well now, I had three teenagers, one's turned 20, serving Jesus. I praise the Lord for that. When I was a teenager, I wasn't exactly walking with Jesus. Thank the Lord for what He's done. But I want you to think distinctly because I believe something important. Not every Christian has a Christian home. To bring Christ into your home, you've got to do something. You know, when King David went knocking on Obed Elon's door, Obed Elon opened the door up of his house and he brought and David said, listen, this ark of the covenant has just killed a man. I need it to stay in your house. And his wife and Obed Elon were looking at each other and like, what? We've got to, and but he submitted and he opened the door of his house and allowed it. He probably cleaned out the room and put it right there. That's where the ark of the covenant sat. And the Lord blessed the household of Obedito. You see, where God's government is, there will be blessing. Where God's voice, there will be blessing. There always is. And I, I think when, when you, and I'm sure you just like me, if I were to ask you, show hands, how many of you would earnestly desire to have God's blessing in your home? How many? All of us. We want God's blessing in our home. So what do we need to do? We need to open up the door. 
How do you get God's government in your house? How do you get God's blessing in your house? You open up the door. How do you bring Christ into your home? You open up the front door. The scripture I have for you is Revelation 3 and verse 20. And it's where Jesus is speaking and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. In other words, I'll hang out. I'll stay. And he with me. What an amazing thing that is. When I think about this, I believe that for every one of you, because I assume if you've got a house, you have a door. You've got a front door. Imagine Jesus standing there, knocking on the front of your house, saying, I'm knocking. Can I come in? Well, you, you've got to do something, right? You know, when those take-a-lot delivery comes and your doorbell rings and your mom says, Take-a-lot, what do you mean if you do? I'm sorry, not today. Because <laughs> something for you. And here's Jesus saying, I've got something for you. My presence, my government, my door. Will you open the door? What do you need to do? You've got to get up off your seat and go open the door and say, Jesus, come on in. And then he says, if you've heard my voice, which I trust you are hearing his voice today, if you've heard my voice, and you make a decision, I'm going to open the door. Jesus says, I will do something. I'm going to come in. Eat with you. In other words, have close fellowship, connection with you. And you with me. Isn't that a wonderful promise in the Word? How many of you have that marked out in your Bibles? Okay, anyone? That's an awesome promise. Now, I want to turn you to the New Testament just to show you what it looks like when a Christian opens the door of his house and Jesus moves in. It's pretty radical. It's in Acts chapter 16. And if you can turn there, it's in the New Testament, Acts chapter 16. Now it tells us about Paul and Silas, the two apostles, as they were in a city called Philippi, and they got beaten up, they were preaching the gospel, they got beaten up, people didn't like their message, they got thrown into prison, and at midnight they were praying, praising, singing to the Lord, and suddenly there's this earthquake and the gates and the whole prison is open. People's chains are falling off of all the prisoners. And the prison guard is probably a Roman. He sees this and he just thinks, whoa, I, I, all my prisoners are escaping. And he's about to kill himself. He had drawn his sword and he was about to end his life, commit suicide. And Paul says to him in verse, what verse is it? Verse 28. Paul called out to him in a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. And then he called for a light and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said to them, Sirs, 
must I do to be saved? I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who's also wondering what you need to do to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you've come to church, but you feel like you're not really connecting with God. Well, the answer to connecting with God is called salvation. Giving your heart and your life to Jesus. And so you ask, what is Paul's answer? How can I be saved? What must I do? And they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now notice, he didn't say live a good life. He didn't say, okay, start tithing, join a church, be a good person. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what about the Lord Jesus? Believe that Christ came into this world, sent by God the Father, that He had in, and died for your sins and for my sins, because He loves you. And for you to get saved is you respond to that love, the love that hung on the cross. It said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. And Paul is presenting this to him, and he says, you just believe in Jesus. Put your faith in him. Become a Christian. Turn from your sins. Come to Jesus. And he adds, he says, look carefully now again. Verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your family, your household. In other words, Paul wasn't saying, I just want you to be saved. He's like, I want your whole family to, I want Christ's presence to be your own. And so, he says, as he spoke the word of the Lord to him, and no doubt he explained the gospel, it says Paul didn't just speak to him, but he spoke to all who were in the house, to his wife, to the children, Paul is telling them, those kiddies, you know, you are not too young to get saved. You can also come and you can know Jesus. If you would believe, do you want to believe in Jesus? And they were saying, yes, we do. And so that night, the entire family put their faith in Jesus and the whole family gets saved. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Now, we rejoice when one person gets saved, but a whole family gets saved in one night. That is incredible. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. And he took them, the jailer, verse 33, that same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his family. The whole family believed. In one night, Christ knocked on the door, they opened the door, and there was the jailer and his wife and their children, and they said, Jesus, come into our home. And Jesus came in. And the joy came and filled them, and the peace of God and everything else. You know, there is something so incredibly special about a home like this that says, Jesus, come in. Do you know that in your Bible, of course you do, you've got a book called Philippians. This was the beginning, the nucleus of that church, the same family. A church was birthed and born out of this. There is something special 
Folk, I don't want you to miss this. Your home matters to God. That's right. The church is not just this. The church is that. The church is your home and what Christ is doing in your home. Yes. You know, there's something so wonderful about a Christian home where Christ is. No, I was, well, I grew up in a Christian home. We, this past week, celebrated my father's birthday. My father and mother are still alive. My dad, I don't think one of you would guess his age. He's 94. And I grew up in a Christian home. Not just a Christian home, but a home where Christ was. When my parents had opened the door and said, Jesus, come in. And today I praise the Lord that I'm walking with Jesus. That they modeled for me what a Christian home looks like. And Karen's parents modeled for her what a Christian home looks like. And that for my father and mother, they started with Jesus. My sisters are walking with Jesus and their families. Really, this is what God wants to do. God is into saving households. And even if your whole family is not yet saved, the Bible does say there's a holiness upon your home. And it's a matter of time before they are all saved. And you see, we've got to persevere these things. But you know, when I was growing up as a young boy and getting older, I can remember slowly coming to learn that not every home was like my home. I can remember a friend of mine, his name was Daniel. And Daniel, apparently their family, they were Christian. But as I got to know him, I realized that dad and mom didn't share the same bedroom. Dad stayed in an outside room. And I began to notice that there was a rift between dad and mom. They didn't talk to each other. They walked right past each other. And there was no relationship. There was great antagonism in that house. So when I asked Daniel about it, I said, Daniel, what, what's going on here with your parents? They don't seem to talk to one another. And he said, well, many years ago, my dad did something really bad. Now, I assume he had an affair with all of you, whatever. My dad did something really bad. And my mom won't forgive him. And this was years that passed. And so this was this divided home. Christian, but Christ wasn't there. I never sensed him there. I think of my other friend, Brendan. This young, rebellious. Remember hanging out in his home? And, well, his parents were divorced, and so his mom was raising him, and I was so difficult for a single parent family to raise kids and have a job and so she was never around and he would do as he pleased smoke around the corner of the house in fact he was the one who taught me to smoke and i remember that young age that kind of home is different to my home and i could go through all the friends and i could tell you about a friend And in all the years that we were friends, I never once saw his parents. 
The same with Korean people. No, they believed in God, but they believed in their careers too, even more. And you see, I realized that not every home was like my home. And I would desire that every single one of you could have a home like my home. You know, it was so wonderful when I started dating that beautiful blonde bombshell. And, I, and this was a big move for me, by the way, just so you guys understand. Is that I realized that for you, yeah, we were just friends. And I, I was a bit skirker to date her. Because she was the pastor's daughter. Oh. <laughs> and it was like, it was a big room. I mean, I had to talk to her parents and everything. But they started to invite me into their home. And again, when I came and I would have dinners in their home and get to know the family, I realized there's something special in this home. It wasn't just her, it was Jesus. He was present there. And you know, today you might not be a family. Like there might be someone here, you're just a single person. I can tell you, when I moved over to college, I had to leave home and move into the city and go to college. I rented a little basement flat from a lady. This lady was a missionary and she was serving the Lord and my parents knew her, they had a good connection with her. And she agreed to let me stay in the basement part of her house. And I lived there, and right at the beginning, when I moved in there, she gave me some Christian messages to listen to. She said, Listen to these. And all the time she had worship music playing, I could hear her upstairs, all the worship music playing. Christ was there in that time. It wasn't long before the Lord began to speak to me, and I used to have the most amazing times with Jesus in that place. Christ was in that place. He was in the home. You see, when you hear the knock of Jesus and you open the door, you bring Jesus in. It's an amazing thing. I want to keep underscoring the point to you. Not every Christian has a Christian home. And I want to tell you why and explain to you. This might help you to understand because in just a few moments I'm going to ask you to respond and to say, I want to open up the door of my home to Jesus, and I want Jesus to come into my home, like Obedee But I want you to realize there are three kinds of homes that I've noticed where Christ is not present, even though they may be Christian. And of course, we know that there's someone who's not a Christian, Christ is not in their home, but there are some people that are Christians or Christian family, Christ is not in their home. Why? Well, the first kind of home, if you're taking notes, is the chaos home. And this is something that I've seen years ago. Car and I, we planted our first church in Cape Town many years ago. And we had a couple that were coming that were part of our church. They spent a lot of time in our home. I'd never been invited into their home. Once I came, I thought I'd just going to pop in and go visit. And what I discovered was so sad because it was just the most chaotic, disorganized, filthy, dirty, just not looked after all. And you know, our God is a God of order. And when there is disorder, when there is a chaos home, and maybe you've got a chaos home, 
where there's just this order, the kids aren't disciplined or being disciplined or being disciplined in love. There's just this complete chaos. Everyone just does their own thing. There's no unity between them and the family. Everyone's on their own mission. Financially, bills aren't being paid. And it's just chaos, 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 chaos. Christ is not in their home. Because our God is God in order. And that after the covenant over Edom, when he brought that ark in, he was bringing in the government of God. Now you go to heaven and you tell me that there's chaos and disorder and disruption and fighting and eating and screaming and so on in heaven? I don't think so. So you bring the ark of the covenant, you bring the ark of God's presence into your own. You need to deal with that. You need to start getting order into your own. So important. And then the second home where Christ is not present is the conflict home. Like I told you, that friend Daniel and his parents, there was conflict. Not just chaos, there was conflict. And that conflict home I experienced just for a short time of my life. I was on a, a trip, I was doing ministry in another country, and the ministry partner who had a lot of influence and a lot of authority. And I went to go stay in his home and I discovered that was a conflict home. And the conflict was between his wife and him and the ministry. And he was so committed and so sold out to the ministry and he was so busy ministering all the time and he was neglecting his own family and his children. Dad wouldn't talk to him, his son wouldn't talk to him, his son was in rebellion, his wife, the moment she got my ear, she started talking to me about just how much she resented her husband and all his ministry and all his time that was going in and I, she was being neglected as a wife in her knees. I couldn't wait to get out of that home. It was a conflict home. The third kind of question home where Christ is not present. <sighs> I even hold back on saying this. The cinema home. It's the home where Hollywood is at home, but Christ is home. It's the home that you walk into the lounge and all the chairs are all pushed around in a circle and the TV is the God of the home. It's all about entertainment. Guys, if I'm conflicting anyone, I'm sorry, but receive it. Because this is something that I've experienced. And, you know, Cora and I, we, we have done a lot of home visitations over the years. And, you know, sometimes we go into a home to meet a family and spend time with them, Christian families, and they wouldn't even turn the TV off. And we'd be sitting, and it'd be so awkward because we're all facing the TV and we're sitting trying to have a conversation with them while the TV's on. And eventually, my wife, Karen, she's very bold, and she would mention after a few times, she would say, do you mind if we turn off the TV? <laughs> but, you know, when, where Hollywood is, a lot of times Christ isn't. And in those kind of homes, 
The only Jesus that is being mentioned is the movie actors that are going, Oh, Jesus! Christ! Oh my God! And I tell you, the law of God and the covenant of God, this is in our home where God's name has been blasphemed day after day after day. And if you've got one of those kind of homes, you need to make a choice. Because Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, and he says, Will you exchange your cinema for me? We need to make the tough choices. And we are in the chaos homes and the conflict homes and the cinema homes. Now, praise God, I haven't grown up in any of those homes, and I don't have any of those homes. But I've got a home where Christ is. And I want to share with you in the last moments how you can make Christ at home in your heart. And this involves all of you. And I want to get practical here because I want to start first to the fathers. Where's the fathers here in the house today? Fathers, dads. Good. Okay. I want to give you up some scriptures and, and um, we don't have time to go through all of them. But I'll give you a few key words. And, and Philip, we were chatting in the weekend. Um, he said it might be good if I come in a told him what was on my heart, he said, if Karen and I come in a few weeks and we could do a workshop or something like that over the weekend, and just share with you the dynamics of being a Christian home. How do we do this thing? It's so important. And um, how can I make Christ at home in my home? Fathers, you be the priest, the provider, the protector, and the present one. Just write down those keywords, they'll make sense to you as you go along. But Joshua 24 and verse 15, Joshua stood up when he was challenging Israel and he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua there was making a declaration of faith, of service, of intent. And he's saying, I'm a priest in my home. And he's speaking and he says, For all of me, my wife and my kids, we need to serve the Lord. Joshua was taking the leadership position. You know, I've got a real problem, and I know God does too, with those kind of homes that are led where there's a Christian husband and a Christian wife, but the mom is the spiritual leader. The man maybe is working and doing the business, but the wife is the one at church taking all the notes. The wife is the one who's in the Word. The wife is the one who's praying for the kids' ministry. And the husband's watching TV. And watching the world go. You see, that is not what Joshua was. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he doesn't just say we'll be saved. He said we will serve. How many of you dads have made that decision in your family? As for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus Christ. Have you? It's getting quite warm in here, isn't it? <laughs> so, it gets even hotter. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, Paul is giving instructions. This is how important, by the way, our home is. When you read the book of Ephesians and you read those last chapters, it's about the home, the home, the home, the home. So he starts out in the church, in the church, in the truth, and he 
this to the heart. And you see, your Christian life is modeled in the heart. And he says Ephesians 6 verse 4, he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. In other words, have a close relationship with them. Dads, do you love your kids? Do you care for them? Do you minister to them? Do you want to be with them? And he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now dads, we want our kids to be successful, we want to be sure they're in good schools, we want them to be good on the sports field, we want to make sure that they're getting good coaching, but are we bringing them up in the Word of God? Yeah. Are we reading scripture to them? <coughs> Do you know last night I was quizzing the dad girls? Got it, I said it. Because these kids are walking with Jesus. I said, what's your approach? How do you guys do this? He said, well, we have family times to read the Bible, talk, share scripture, and look at the fruit. Kids are walking with Jesus. For us, our, our habits is every morning before school, our kids, and listen, we, we one of those early morning families. We've got to get our family. And I'll have my devotional time with the Lord. My kids have to be at school. We have to leave the house at 7 a.m. And 6.45, more or less, we're together. We put on the TV, have a worship song. We all sing, all the kids will sing a worship song. And I let them choose. So they'll choose the funky kind of, you know, worship songs. And we'll sing a worship song together. I'll share scripture with them, that will take turns reading a scripture, and we'll pray together, and they go out of the house. It's how I like to send them out of the house. They meet with the Lord first. And those kind of things falls on the dad. It's not Corinth's responsibility. That's my responsibility. Okay? You want to bring Christ into your own? Starts with the Father. Amen. 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 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 says, and this is the father as a priest, as a provider. Dads have got to provide spiritually and physically. Protector, present. Okay? Uh, if there's something weird happening out in your garden, you're hearing like, you know, banging on a window or whatever, don't send your wife. You go. That's it. Okay? <laughs> you got that. does not provide for his relatives, so he's talking of a father, and especially for the members of his household. Guys, this is a hectic verse here. If you're not providing for your family food, the accommodation, looking after them, paying the bills, if you are not doing that, it says you deny the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Sure. This is heavy, isn't it? Okay, I told you it's going to get a lot to me. As the father, your role is to pay the bills. Not your wife. Yes, she can work, but it's your role to make sure the bills are being paid, your kids are clothed, there's food in our house, the Lord is mowed, and you taking care of all those things. That's your role. Okay? Don't pass it on to your wife. Okay? So, 
that's the Father. And then present means that you know it's not as soon as you as soon as you get home from work and it's like close off. Yeah, okay, got my biking stuff on. I'm off. I'll see you um, after eight. You know, kids are asleep. There's no relationship. Be present in your home. You're not working so late at night that you're missing your kids. Your kids are more important than your job. Okay? We're honest. Some are not here, some are not here. Okay? We, you, you can argue with God afterwards. Okay? But that's the role of the dad. He's the priest, he's the provider, he's the protector, he's present. Mothers, I put their calm. Because Proverbs 21 and verse 9, Solomon, we had so many wives, he says, you know, if you marry to a wife who likes to argue, it's better that you live on the top of the roof. <laughs> okay? You know, it's always on the stage, so you argue, fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. He says, no, just live on the top of your house, brother. So, maybe some of your husbands, you can talk to your wives about this. Proverbs 21, verse 9. But the, the, the mother is, she brings, and, and it's a beautiful thing. Karen does this beautifully in our home. She brings a calmness into it. And there is something, and you know, when I was dating Karen, I'll tell you this, when I was dating, I picked up something about her that, like, when she would get into the car, it's like, I just feel like this calmness, this peace. It was something that she brings into our home. And that's a woman who walks with God. It's a peace that brings him. You know, being a kid is like tense. You know, when my kids come home from school, hey, I can see that you're not selected. Being in the world, not easy. My faith is challenged. My one daughter that can taught evolution. There's all these things again. You know, the world's trying to brainwash them into its ways. They're dealing with all kinds of sexual stuff and perversion, uh, bad speech, all that kind of antagonism. And they come home, and they come home, and they walk home, and there's my wife to greet them at the door. And the calmness comes with them. It takes about an hour. To be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Luke 8 and verse 2 and 3, and it talks about a group of women. So Jesus had his 12 disciples, then there was a group of women. And it said they cared for him and they provided for him wherever he was going. First Timothy 5, 9 to 15 tells us that women who live for pleasure are dead while they live. They need to live for Jesus. And it speaks of the, you can look it up in your own time, but um, that's an important passage there. It's talking of widows, but it says the kind of people and women that they need to be. Raising children for a woman is a very, very important goal before God. Speaks of the woman who raised Timothy, his mother and his grandmother, and it sets them apart. Paul even mentions them. Titus 2, 3 to 5, and it says here, Tell the older women to behave as those who love the Lord should. They must not gossip about others or be slaves of wine. They must teach what is proper, so the young women will be loving wives and mothers. Each of the younger women, young wives, must be sensible and kind, as well as a good homemaker, 
who puts her own husband first. Again, I've just got to tell you, my wife, I actually want her to chat to you guys sometime, maybe after 412, where she can just minister to you women and tell you, this is what a wife needs to be before God. This is how you do it. She does it so well. And she puts me first. I'm secure in our marriage. Um, there are times when she will push all the kids away and say, I'm talking to your dad now. And those priorities are in place. And then it says, a good homemaker, okay? Not you can have work, you can have a career, but are you investing in your home? Are you making a kind of place where your children want to be? Where they want to invite their friends? And um, in fact, it was interesting. I had this conversation with my kids. I said to them, kids, like, why is it that you always want to go to your friends and go hang out with your friends? You're not coming. Why don't you bring your friends to our home? And I said, you know, when I was a teenager, I always brought all my friends to my home. Why? Why? What's going on here? And um, I think all they were waiting was like, yes, you can, to go in here. And so they slowly started bringing their friends over to the home. I like that. It's her friend, their friends, get to see what a Christian home is like when Jesus is present. So important. And then, I want to address the sons and the daughters. The kids. Because, and, and, and moms and dads, you just got to write some notes here, and you, because your kids are there now. You've got to share this. You've got to impart to the dads. You impart this to them. Sons and daughters, I put their saved, submitted, and serving. And saved, you know, this is something that like, sometimes the penny doesn't drop with the kids. Is you've got to realize just because your parents are walking with Jesus and they are serving and ministering on the worship team and things, that doesn't mean you are okay with God. Right? Parents, you've got to tell the kids. You know, John 3 verse 3, you must be born again. Your kids are not like some kind of special thing that just because you are saved that they are also good with God. No, you can be serving the Lord, but your kids can be like Samson. So just realize, Christian home does not guarantee Christian kids. So your kids need to understand. You need to have those conversations with your kids. I would always happen with my children. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Do you know you would, if you would die, would you go to heaven to be with Jesus? Because sometimes... Kids who grow up in Christian homes, they can be like really nice kids. But inwardly, they are so good. You look on their phones and you see what kind of people they are. They're pagans. And you just think they're nice because they're like, you know, you know living your home. Look at their phones. Amen? Guys, always do too serious today. <laughs> this is real stuff. This is really the road against the road. And, and so, they, they are saved, second submitted, <coughs> and listening to dad and mom. I know obedience is sometimes heavy, but Colossians 3 verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases is the Lord. You know, my little son, Michael, you know, because he's a boy, and I, I'm trying to get him outside work. So I gave him, I bought a broom for him, and I said, okay, now you better keep the outside clean. 
And every time he comes, he comes home from school, and I'm like, okay, go sleep. And it's like, oh, and he has this like little moment, you know. And I'm like, dude, if you complain, I'm going to give you twice as much to do. Go do it. And, and okay, that's young man. There's all the rebellion of hell inside of him. I'm going to drive that out. I'm going to make sure that he is obeyed and submitted and surrendered to me and to Corin. And uh, if if Corin wants him to do something, he doesn't. He may not march off somewhere. I don't need to say more. Oh, this is Josh Day. Saying, submitted, serving. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse 13 through love, serve. Is that the diary in my hand? Okay, gosh. I'm going to tell it here. Through love, serve one another. Brothers and sisters, they need to realize you guys need to serve. You've got to look after each other, help each other, do things for each other. It's so easy when you're living. Kids are living in a home that are just like, just here for me. You know, let my needs meet. I was challenging my daughter the other day. I said, hey, I like the salad that you made. Did you make it for everyone or just yourself? You know, we've got to make those things. We've got to challenge. Your kids need to be safe, submitted, and serving. Your wives, you need to be calm and caring and counseling. Bringing the truth into the home. Fathers, you're the priest, the provider, the protector, the president. Does this kind of stuff, is it, is it hitting the mark? Because this is what we need to do. The whole family, together, need to invite Christ into the home. And I want to encourage you guys, I'm going to close right here. I'm sorry, I didn't even realize how long I'm... I'm like a rabbit. Sometimes I just go and I'm like... But guys, I hope this has helped you. I hope that this is something that can change your hearts. Bring Christ into your heart. Open the door. He opened the door when King David stood there with the ark. And he said, okay, please bring it in. Bring in the presence of Jesus into your heart. And I'm going to pray. I want to, I think this is so important. You know, when, when Cara and I moved into our house, where we live right now, um, I find a rock and we painted on this rock the verse, it was Psalm 1846, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock. And I put it by our front door and said, on two storms, on two bad weather, the Lord lives. Where does he live? In my heart. Blessed be my rock. The Lord is the rock of He's held us together through storms, bad weather, hard circumstances, the challenges of life, taxi strikes, everything else that you and I need. The Lord lives, blessed be my Lord. If you want the Lord to come into your home, do it over here, open the door. Jesus said, I stand at the door. If you want to make that decision, I want to invite you to stand and to come forward here.